Hello, welcome to Into the Fire, a Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series. Hi, this is Jerome Davis. I'm the Artistic Director of Burning Coal Theater Company in Raleigh, North Carolina, and uh, I'd like to welcome everybody to Into the Fire, the Burning Coal Theater Company podcast series on all things theatrical. Our guest today is Lauren Gunderson, uh, the author of I and You, uh, the production that will open Burning Coal's 25th season in Raleigh on uh, October 7th. Uh, Lauren, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate it. What a joy to be here. Hi, everybody. And also with us right now is Lucy Jane Atkinson, who's going to be directing the piece. Uh, Lucy um, couldn't resist the opportunity to ask the playwright a few questions. And so, um, so Lucy, do you want to start? Uh, if, you, if you have a couple of things you wanted to ask Lauren, I, I'll uh, defer to you to begin. Sure. Uh, I mean, I have loads of questions, some that are rehearsal specific, but that's probably less interesting for everyone listening. Um, uh, I guess the, the first question is just where the idea came from um you've probably been asked that a hundred times but I'd be really curious to find out yeah so you know I I, it came from like a lot of plays a couple of different intersecting interests um, of mine one being to write challenging um roles specifically in this case for young women so the role of Caroline is not particularly, quote, likable, which is a word I detest, mainly because it's used to describe women. (laughs) Um, And I think my reaction to that is always like, well, is King Lear very likable? Is Hamlet very likable? Of course not. That's what makes them interesting and prickly and complex. And so I wanted to kind of prove that through writing this role of uh, a young woman who, when we meet her, is unhappy and for good reason. She's got a lot going on in her life, including um, a a diagnosis of an illness that makes it impossible for her to go out and to have a normal life. And here she is a 16 year old, ready to begin things. And so she's got a lot on her plate, which justifies her prickliness. Um, And to that mix, we add the character of Anthony who is way more like me as a kid. (laughs) He's kind of the perfectionist, the do-gooder, the like A-plus student, the band member who is in first chair, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And together they couldn't really be more different. And the play, the attempt of the play is to weave them together. So at first we see that they have very little in common and, you know, don't really (laughs) care for each other that much anyway. But by the end, we, we see that they share a lot and that they, they share meaning and purpose. Um, And so the, but the experiment of that started with an idea um, that was scientific, that was a little medical, that was a kind of theoretical um, experiment, a thought experiment in my mind of like, okay, what's a very big show that seems like a small show? So this is a two person, one set play, but even with those constraints, which I love to play that game of like, what's what's the puzzle of this? (laughs) Which in some ways just means making it really hard on yourself, but (laughs) you know, finding your way out of the maze that you've put yourself in is quite quite a lot of fun. And so that was the work of the show is like, what are the constraints? And then even within those, can we explode out 
um, emotionally and philosophically and existentially. And um, that, that to me is a, a good, a good day at the theater. So. <laughs> That's and so how does, how or why does Walt Whitman, how does he enter the picture? Yeah. So um, for those of you who will see the show, the, the conceit of these two characters, they're brought together by Walt Whitman um, <laughs> as a, a high school assignment, which again, seems like the most boring thing to write a play about. But again, with those constraints, we can really surprise and give kind of gasp worthy moments. Um, but the, the love of Walt Whitman is very genuine to me. I remember being in high school and being you know, force fed certain writers as like, these are the ones you have to learn. And Whitman was one of them. And I felt just the absolute breath of fresh spring air when I read him. It was so vibrant and experimental and defiant. And it just felt like everything a teenager's heart wants, <laughs> you know, to be blown open and challenged um, and the word play is so visceral and interesting and then to remind yourself well this was written 150 years ago like this this guy was edgy but from a long time ago so I, I just love the the way that it helps us as an audience think through time and how by having Walt Whitman as opposed to a more contemporary writer be their subject we are already forcing ourselves back a century or two ago. And so what is, does that make our mind also more fungible to jump to hundred years in the future to, you know, what, what is time? What is space? What is death and mortality and literature and what lasts and, and all this stuff. So I, I think those themes fit nicely in the play, certainly as it goes along. Um, and I, I just, I, I love poetry read aloud. And so in some ways this was just an excuse to have very talented actors <laughs> read aloud. <laughs> I love it. Um, a question, because I'm a dramaturg as well as a, uh, as a director, um, and a question that I ask playwrights a lot while we're developing new work, and I'm curious to ask you about this play that's already been finished, but um, what, what question would you say the play is asking, mm. if there is one? Um, yeah, I mean, of course many, but, but the one that comes to mind is something about... Um, about the how how different are you from any other human on earth and the the question kind of begs the answer like not actually that different <laughs> you know all the things that think um, distinguish us divide us don't um, you know on a fundamental level um, even a biological level we are way more alike than we are different and um, it's easy to forget that sometimes, and it's certainly in our contentious world now, it's easy to, to find our tribes and our camps and stay there solidly. But this play hopes to, to, to bring out the kind of fundamental truth, like we're all made of the same stuff. <laughs> Let's start leaning into that. Good answer. Yeah, really good answer. I get that kind of leads into or potentially answers what was going to be my next question, which is like, what do you hope the audience leave with? Mm. Yeah, I, I hope asking themselves some version of that question. Um, I hope they leave asking each other, um, you know, I, it, there's no secret. There's a little bit of a twist. There's some twists 
some moments, some surprises in store. <laughs> so I, I love an active audience that leads going, okay, when did you realize this? Or when did you feel about this? Or when she said this, what did that make you feel? And it, it is a play that has a bit of a jungle gym to it and you kind of want to play on it. <laughs> and uh, so I, I, I hope that they turn to maybe somebody they don't know and um, say, you know, what, what did you think? What did it make you feel? And I, you know, I, I also think there is a, this is a play that, that asks and encourages a diversity of audience members, particularly in age. So there are audiences that could be made entirely of teenagers and they will understand this play in, in one way. And then their parents <laughs> could come the next day. It could be a house full of parents and then a house full of grandparents. And, you know, everybody can bring, um, you know, their own perspective and life lived experience to it. And I think that's a great way to experience theater because hopefully you turn to somebody and say, well, it, this hit me in this way. How did it hit you? And that's, that, that's, that's good work. <laughs> and maybe, maybe everyone wants to go run out and buy, buy some Walt Whitman and <laughs> Read it aloud. <laughs> I'm I'm personally hoping everyone runs out and buys a ticket for the next night so they can figure out the, you know. <laughs> there is there is a pleasure of seeing this play after you've seen it once. <laughs> I think in and watching the the other people who haven't seen it uh, experience it, uh, that's a really good uh, um, point. Uh, Lucy, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump in with a, yeah, a few questions too. I, I want to, um, Lauren, I want to, um, find out about you a little bit. You know, I, I'm fascinated by your your career and your art. You you were born in or raised in Atlanta, Georgia. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, right outside a little town called Decatur. But yes, basically I'm Atlanta. <laughs> I was uh, I was about 30 miles southeast of Nashville. So I uh, I was about a four hour drive from, from there and uh, yep know that part of the world very well uh and um what uh, what was your family life like uh, early on in, in atlanta did were your parents artistically inclined or did you have a really great teacher what happened yeah <laughs> you know my dad is a writer as well as a pastor and a public health um expert mm -hmm. and my mom is kind of all medicine and science <laughs> and so there it wasn't necessarily art, but li literature and the power of words and the appreciation of a well-written or well-spoken um, uh, thought was was highly valued in my in my house. Um, but you know, theater was was a bit of a, a bit of a stretch for everybody. My my father famously asked his mother, you know, if there were any theater people in our family, because well, Lauren's really into it, but nobody I know does that. What was there anybody in our family? And my grandmother apparently goes, there was one vacuum salesman. <laughs> Which I was like, yeah, sure, that's close enough to theater. <laughs> just, just selling vacuums. I um, a story to tell. <laughs> indeed, gotta gotta make your pitch. I, I get it. I get it. Um, you know, but I I did grow up in um, in Atlanta, and the Atlanta theater community was certainly burgeoning back then, and has just become a, a kind of national theater force. Um, there's so much film and TV there now as well. Yeah. So there's this big, beautiful community that that is really rich and I'm, I'm ever grateful for that early support. And I still have, I love when plays of mine get to go back, back home <laughs> to, to Atlanta. So I love, I loved that. I did have great theater teachers, um, public school education. Um, and then I even went to, to undergrad at Emory. So I kind of stayed 
in the South and, you know, basically invented the playwriting track there, which is now an official, you know, um, degree that you can get that yeah. you can get there in within the creative writing department. But at that point, I was just kind of making it up with the help of great writers like Jim Grimsley, who was my my mentor. Um, so yeah, it's it's a funny and wonderful thing being from the South. It's obviously very complex in a lot of reasons, but there's such history and literature here that is just bottomless in terms of its humor and its bite um, and the, the kind of complex things that Southerners are are always wrestling with um, and contending with. And, yeah. you know, it's always been the case. Uh, I think of um, uh, Rebecca Gilman, um, Naomi Wallace uh, is from Kentucky, I think. Um, uh, Margaret Edson, who wrote Wit uh, from, I think, Atlanta. Or, Atlanta, uh, yeah, she's a good friend. Lots of, um, lots of Southern uh, women um, showing up on the uh, American theater scene. Um, but, but you, so you skipped a little bit there because you went uh, from uh, literature to starting the playwriting track at Emory. Was there an event uh, um, that, that caused you to think this is the particular kind of literature I want to focus on? Yeah. You know, as a kid, I was I was the first to jump on the stage in any <laughs> any capacity. Um, so I I found my love for it, like I think a lot of us do, through performance, through school plays, through getting that first script and saying your line out loud, and the kind of buzz and electricity of that. Um, you kind of really know if you really like it or you really don't right away. And I really liked it. Um, so I always assumed that I would be a performer, an actor. Um, which I, I was a fine actor, but the role had to be basically exactly like me. <laughs> I was I was not good at like transforming myself into an ingenue or a you know whatever. <laughs> it had to be kind of like basically, you know, a, a, a nerdy girl, <laughs> and then, then I could excel perfectly. But um, but you know through that I um, I took it very seriously, and I always tend to. <laughs> fancy myself a bit of an overachiever. So I kind of want to see how far I can take something. And when I was young, I thought, well, I really like acting. So let's do professional acting. There's theaters in Atlanta. Let's go. So I signed up for classes and then started to get cast in productions, professional productions, particularly my first was at Actors Express in Atlanta, which is still yeah. a wonderful regional theater, incredible work. Yeah. So, so I, I started performing on stage. And then, you know, through that, found new plays. And I, I honestly didn't know what a new play was. What do you mean right. a new play? I thought we have the plays. We have all the plays. We're done with plays. <laughs> we just like, keep doing like, plays. Uh, <laughs> what is a new, exactly. What yeah. we have Shakespeare and we have Tennessee Williams. We're, we're good, right? <laughs> um, and of course, you know, then that opened my, my eyes and realizing oh, people write them and they need to write them. And of course, we're not done writing them because frankly, most of the plays are written by dudes. <laughs> so where are, the, where are my ladies? Where are the women? Um, yeah. Yeah. And so it had kind of occurred to me in this flash of, you know, my 18-year-old self of just going, oh, yeah, okay, this is what I 
this feels like a puzzle that I can solve, work that is good to lean into. I have some models, you know, we, I, I knew of Paula Vogel and Lynn Nottage and Sarah Rule was just kind of, her work, Clean House, was just kind of touring, you know, everywhere. Um, and so those women certainly taught me, oh, there is a whole world that is unwritten um, and is, is urgently needed. And so I kind of dove in and found myself along the way and my voice along the way and um, various tracks of work, the kind of contemporary work, which I knew fits nicely in the kind of um, historical work, work about science. A lot of those are kind of the tracks that I bopped into. And then later on, I found musicals, but um, that was not, where I, <laughs> was not where I started. So yeah, but it, it, it was a lot of experimentation and a lot of, of saying, you know, both writing a play I want to see and writing a play that I never thought I would see. And where those both overlap were where the, the, those were the plays that I thought, okay, this is perfect for me to write. I have to write this. This is this needs me and I need it, <laughs> you know. And uh, you, you went to graduate school at, um, at NYU. Um, w uh, w was that a, 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 a different experience for you? Was that kind of a, you know, a, a different thing than you had experienced up to that point? Uh, yeah. Did you feel like it was a, a continuation of the work you'd been doing at Emory? Uh, um, you know, it, it was very structure-based, which I found a kind of secret codex in dramatic structure and really unpacking um, what that means, the, the story, uh, the, the structure of a story and that there is such a thing. And there are different kinds and different flavors, but there is a pattern. Um, the Aristotelian. Uh, uh, yeah, but also, you know, how that changes um, and how we can, you know, iterate. There's not like a right way to do it, but right. there are elements that when aligned in a right way um, or a successful way can just be so satisfying for an audience. Mm -hmm. So if that's what you're after, which I was always after that because I'm an audience, I find I'm an audience first, you know? So in many ways I'm writing for an audience of me, um, thinking that if it moves me, it probably moves somebody else. So that helped me understand why my taste was the way it was and why I was kept, my imagination kept gravitating to this kind of story. Um, so dramatic structure was a big thing that I learned there. Gary Garrison was my, my main teacher at, at NYU among, among several others. Um, and you know, the other thing about going to school in New York is you see a lot of plays. <laughs> you just oh, see a lot wow. of work and you see various different kinds of work. And that was the, in some ways, some of the best education was just going and asking yourself, did I like it and why and what did I like about it and how did it work? Um, and again, trying to find the kind of engineering that undergirds great story and um, make being conscious about it, not having that lead me, but being able to choose I'm gonna put the roller coaster ramp a little higher here so I can get that loop lay it later, you know, to follow a roller coaster metaphor. But um, yeah. So it it it's where I kind of became a bit scientific about my creativity. <laughs> there's a there's a writer named Ella Hickson um, who wrote a play called The Writer a couple of years ago. Um, that uh, very much is about that idea of whether the the structure of plays that we sort of have become familiar with uh, over centuries is is the only way to to tell a story. And I thought it was really interesting um, when she was debating the uh, question, um, which 
more or less follows the form. I thought it, it worked really well. And then when she tried to demonstrate what she was talking about, I thought it <laughs> fell apart entirely. But that was my own two cents worth. I don't know. Uh, um, but anyway, um, so uh, so you you married a, a man who's a virologist. Uh, I'm curious to know if if you feel. I mean, right now with what's going on in the world with the pandemic, you you must to some degree feel like you're perfectly poised to respond to this issue. Are you <laughs> deliberately avoiding it, or have you have you begun to write about this at all? Yeah. So um, I was actually just this morning finishing a foreword of the uh, publication of uh, my piece called the catastrophist which came out last year or at the beginning of this year but it was written all during lockdown and it was about my husband it's about nathan um who is um a you know (laughs) one of the world's experts on pandemics and i happen to be living with him during a pandemic (laughs) and uh you know during that strange time where so many of us learned so much about ourselves and what we take for granted and to never take things for granted again um you know, so this this was a, a play that one person play that um, we premiered at Marin Theater Company and Roundhouse Theater. It was a digital offering, obviously, um, but we shot it during the pandemic and yeah. you know created this story about about him. Um, but of course, it's more than it's not just a recitation of a biography, but it's a way to understand um, truth and the truth we perhaps hide from ourselves and the truth we fight for and the truth that isn't heard until it's too late and mm-hmm. science and, uh, you know, family. Um, and uh, yeah, so it was it was a terrifying project, but one that became more and more important um, and ended up being something I'm incredibly proud of. Um yeah, so it lives in the in the um, national archive now of, of COVID art, um, which is quite a quite an honor to have it. You know, something you just dream up, and then it's it's there as kind of proof that we made art during the time when the world did not want us to make art. <laughs> did you feel? I'm just curious if you felt as a writer. I mean, you're you're one of the things that I think characterizes you is that you're very prolific. You you seem to turn out a lot of uh, plays as opposed to a Tom Stoppard, for instance, who cranks one out about once a decade. And I'm just uh, during the pandemic that um, that the 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 sort of stoppage of social um, activity was was giving you more time and freedom to write or was it or did it feel like you were blocked in the same way that the larger society around you felt probably blocked? Um, yeah, I was at first hesitant to write and just it just felt a bit spinning. Um, but then after a couple of weeks, I what what was so inspiring to me and igniting was the fact that everything that I had planned was off the table. And so you end up with blank space which is either terrifying or mm-hmm. full of possibility. And I thought, oh my God, I get to write whatever I want. Whatever I want. <laughs> you know? So a lot of the commissions, you know, okay, well, let's, we don't have to rush to get that draft done now because we don't have a show to do, um, which meant that all of the things I'd kind of committed to, I still committed to them, but knew that they were happening at a different time. And so it meant that I was able to teach a lot more. I started to do online classes that for, you know, several months, I would do one or two or three a week that were just, you know, free and online and yeah. found great community with, with people who, you know, I've heard many 
people um, say that they watched the classes and wrote a play, which is great. <laughs> How cool is that? That's really so, yeah. yeah, and spent a lot of time, obviously, with family and connecting to myself and purpose. I, I started to ask a lot of questions, kind of why are we doing this and why do we make theater this way? And is there a better way and a more inclusive way and a more sustainable and diverse way? And um, how can we all take responsibility for, I mean, we're making stuff up in the theater. So it should be not a mirror of society, but a lens or <laughs> a, a crystal yeah. ball of where we can go. Um, and and I, I, I think that has been something that I've learned a lot in the last year and a half too, and hope to certainly take back in when we can make plays again, which we're starting to. <laughs> so that's good news. I want to I want to end with uh, a little more about uh, I and you, uh, and I want to bring Lucy uh, back in too. But the one thing I wanted to ask you about it it was um, it had a production in in London that uh, at the Hampstead. Were you were you involved in that production? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm just curious. It it seemed like the response to that was was everything from literally the the best play I've ever seen to um, relies too much on the surprise at the end. And I was thinking if, I was wondering if O. Henry ever got that comment, you know, uh, but uh, I'm just curious about that, that idea. Um, uh, you know, did you start with that? I mean, with that idea and work backwards um, or, or did that surprise you as much as it surprises the audience uh, as it comes along? Yeah. Um, well, first, I tend to not listen to critics about anything. <laughs> um, I love people who love theater and you can kind of tell the people who love it um, and who have an open mind and an open spirit about things. And, you know, it's 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 certainly hard and worthy to be um, a, a critic of theater and a literary critic. Um, but I think I think there are failures there that make art harder than it needs to be. And way more judgmental and um and that doesn't feel very healthy so certainly for working artists i'm like don't listen <laughs> you, you know if it matters to you you know if it works according to you why would you care what anyone else thinks um and certainly the people that i care are the people who buy a ticket and come and see it and tell their friends and you know post on facebook i saw a cool play today like that's the review i actually care about <laughs> So anyway, um, but yeah, we were very lucky with that production because there were some wonderful reception and it was the first um, theater per performance by the actor Maisie Williams, who played Caroline and was absolutely gorgeous. And um, Zach, who played opposite her, was was brilliant as well. And they, the two of them were just wonderful. One of my favorite productions I've ever seen of that, that play. Um, but the truth is, yeah, you cannot write that play accidentally. It is a play that was absolutely designed the ending was, I did not start writing until I knew exactly what the ending was. Now, I didn't know how we were going to get there, which was the work. Um, so for those of you who haven't seen the ending yet, you'll know when you see it. Um, but yes, the the whole point was earning that moment and earning the, the kind of surprise and gasp and the oh of it, <laughs> which I love that feeling. And you know, for those who don't like that feeling, yeah, you're not going to like this play. <laughs> you're not going to like it. That's okay. But I love it. And I feel like theater doesn't surprise me very much. It kind of, you see it coming, you know, he's going to reveal the thing because he told you in act one, he was going to reveal it. And you're just waiting for the reveal. And yeah. yet we know that there, you know, it's a girl dressed up as a boy. The, uh, the king doesn't. And you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. 
but something that can actually make me drop my program and be like, what is I'm always desperate for that feeling and, and excited and thrilled and engaged. Um, and I feel like it's a very honest and organic feeling, um, that surprise. So earning that I think is good work. <laughs> and I, I tend to yeah. do that with a lot of my plays. It, I, it I uh, reminds me of, uh, of Connor McPherson's work, uh, who's, who's one of my, uh, other favorites, um, from across the pond, uh, Lucy, do you want to do you want to come back in with a, a question uh, as we wrap up for for Lauren? Oh, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I guess just on that on that previous point, I feel like something that I'm always searching for in the work that I kind of choose to do, or the work that I really like seeing, is this idea of things that are kind of surprising yet inevitable, and the satisfaction of that, and like oh, it does all make sense, you know, but you don't know, you're surprised in the moment, then you're like, obviously, because, blah, blah, blah. And I feel like this play does that so well. And so much of the fun that we're having in rehearsal at the moment is, you know, again, without giving away the end, having these big kind of meta conversations about the world of the play and the, you know, how it all fits together. Um, And it's just so intricately, intricately plotted so that there is that satisfaction um, at the end, rather than just being like, and then this happens, you're like, okay, um, it, you know, of course it does. I, yeah. I feel like That's the inevitability fun. of it is yeah. what predictable it. but inevitable, satisfying but like was it always going to happen? Um, surprise, surprising but inevitable is the perfect chemistry of yeah. a good play in my like mind. Like a good mystery, you know, a good mystery. Exactly, novel. exactly. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, it sounds like it's going to be a fabulous production, and I'm so, I'm cheering it on from across the country. Thank you. you. We're having so much fun with it. Thank you for writing such a great play and letting us, letting us do it. Thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, And we, uh, we appreciate your time. Um, Whatever comes next, uh, we look forward to to that from you. And and, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, Lauren Gunderson. Thanks, everybody. Have a great day. Thank you for listening. Our production of I and You will run from October 7th through October 24th. For tickets and information, visit us at burningcoal.org or give us a call at 919-834-4001. Burning Coal's production of I and You is sponsored by The Classical Station. Listen at 89.7 FM or online at theclassicalstation.org.